want to give a special welcome to the Brewer family, who is uh, somewhere around here. Yeah, the Brewers are over there. We're going to hear from Jeff later in the service. Jeff was our founding, the founding pastor here at Hope. All right, if you didn't hear anything I just said, Jeff was the founding pastor at Hope, and uh, we're so glad your family is here. We look forward to hearing from you later in the service here. Well, as we come to God's Word today, we're in a series on prayer, and we're talking about different aspects of prayer, and we've been going through this acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, and today we've come to Thanksgiving here in Psalm 136. And so as we read the text together, we're going to do something a little bit different than normal. I'm going to read the first part of the text, and you're going to read the second part. And don't worry, it's the same line every single time. So you just, once you get the first line, the line first, you just keep saying it 26 times, all right? All right, so here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. I'll say the first, you say the second. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, to him who alone does great wonders, to him by his understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights. the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. This is God's word. You may sit down. Now let's come to the Lord in prayer as we seek to understand and apply his word together. 
Father in heaven, you are worthy of all of our praise. All thanksgiving is due to you, for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. We ask that today you would expand our hearts. You would open our eyes to the wonder and beauty of who you are, that you would fill us with thanksgiving. We ask that you would do this by the power of the Spirit in the holy and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wonder, when was the last time a song got stuck in your head? Last time a song got stuck in your head? If you think about it, uh, you know, for me, it's normally like kids' songs get stuck in my head. And uh, whatever you're doing, whatever is going on with your day, that song just comes into your mind. Um, I want to do a little experiment to just kind of test where you're at on songs. I'm going to say, this is a lot of response today. This isn't normal. If you're new with us, it's fine if you want to respond. But I want you to respond. So here's the experiment. Two of the most famous songs in the world, I want you to finish the line for me. All right, ready? Okay, you're gonna say this out loud. It's a small world. There it is. Second one, happy birthday. All right, so we get it. Songs, you did well, by the way. I, I, I kind of looked up, what are the two most famous songs in the whole world? And those are the two most famous, at least in the English-speaking world. Well, songs have a way of lodging into our minds in a unique way. When we sing or hear a song, we can often remember where we were when we first heard that or, or what was going on when that song was playing. And today's prayer of thanksgiving from Psalm 136 is also a song. It's a song that God wants us to get the refrain stuck in our heads as we think of him and what he has done. And that leads us to the main point, the big idea of the text, which is this. Recounting God's love fuels thanksgiving. Recounting God's love fuels thanksgiving. And as we constantly remember God's eternal love, this text calls us to give thanks to God in two main ways. Give thanks to God for who he is. That's at the beginning and the end of the psalm in verses 1 to 3 and then at 26. And then give thanks to God for what he has done. That's in verses 4 to 25. So let's think about that first point, how we can give thanks to God for who he is. When we think about giving thanks, it doesn't always come natural to us, does it? When when you're little, your parents have to tell you, okay, now say thank you for that amazing gift or for something that someone did for you. As you get older, you write thank you notes. And as I'm thinking about this, I, I can uh, scan across hope and I owe a couple of you some thank you notes. So I've already, I've already forgotten that. We're, we can be forgetful about giving thanks. We can neglect it. We even have a day set aside in November every single year, day off of work and school, 
just to give thanks, that we might remember to give thanks. And in this psalm, in Psalm 136, the psalmist is exhorting us to give thanks. Not just thanks generally, but give thanks to the one to whom all thanks is due. Any, anything you're thankful for, ultimately, must be given thanks uh, to God for. So what does it mean to give thanks? I love how one uh, dictionary put it. it. It's to make a public confession of the attributes and power of a person. A public confession of the attributes and power of a person. And so it's really important that we know who that person is that we're giving thanks to. Who is this God that we're giving thanks to? Well, we learn, starting in verse 1, we're to give thanks to the Lord. And when you read that, you may not uh, remember, but when the Lord is capitalized in the English version, that's the translator's way of saying this is the name, the personal name of God. This is Yahweh. This is uh, the, the one who revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34. We talked about this a bit last week when he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the great I am. This is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. This is the God of the entire world. So when we give thanks, we are to give thanks to this one. There is no other God. But then he describes him a little differently. In verse 2, he calls him the God of gods. In other words, there's no other God beside him. Every other so-called God that people worship besides the God of gods is a small g God. We must give thanks to the God of gods. And then he's described in verse uh, 3 there, as the Lord of Lords, meaning he's the sovereign one over all people. He rules and reigns over all creation and everything that he has made. So we must give thanks to the Lord of Lords. And then he skips down at the end. It's what's called an inclusio in a, in a poem or a song. He ends in the same way and he says we must give thanks to the, in verse 26, to the God of heaven. It's another way of saying that he is God over all creation and everything in it. So we give thanks to the God of heaven. Well, why must we give thanks to God? Well, it's only a matter of life and death. You might remember, skipping ahead to Romans chapter 1, that, that God's eternal power can be clearly seen in all of creation. That we can know, what, know God, at least generally, what he's like just by looking at what he has made. His divine nature is eternal power. But when we refuse to give thanks, it says in Romans 1, our hearts are darkened, and eventually God gives us over to our own sinful desires in greater ways. So, Neglecting to give thanks is a matter of life and death. If we don't do it, ultimately, it will lead to death and destruction, being apart from the presence of the Lord. In a positive way, we're told why to give thanks here in the text in verse two, there's, or in verse one, and there's two different reasons that he gives. The first reason to give thanks is because God is good. God is good. 
When the text says that God is good, we need some help understanding what that means because when we say something is good, it was, we'll say things like, I went to the movie, it was good. I had a meal and it was good. And yes, the term good, when we say that, it's, uh, it means that when we say the Lord is good, it means not only that he, he does good things, but rather that it's much bigger than that, that he's the definition of good. When we think about good, everything good flows from God himself. I love how Wayne Grudem puts it in his book, Systematic Theology. He says, the goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good. And all that God is and does is worthy of approval. So we should give thanks to God because he is good. He is the definition of good. All good flows from him. The second reason we should give thanks is the one that you got tired of saying as we were reading it up there. It's uh, repeated 26 times in, the, in this psalm. And it's because his steadfast love endures forever. And so if we're going to give thanks as God intends, it's essential for us to understand what this means. His steadfast love endures forever. If you're like me, just full confession, when I've read this psalm in the past, I just kind of skip over that line. It's just kind of like, okay, again, again, again. And that's exactly the opposite of what the Lord wants as we read this psalm. He doesn't want us to skip over this. He wants us to pay attention. He wants it to be drilled into our minds. But we have to understand what it means. Because what is translated here is steadfast love. In the Hebrew, is only one word. It's a word called hesed. Hesed. And it's a really hard word to translate into English. For example, the same word in the same place in Psalm 136 in the King James is translated as mercy. In the NASB, it's translated as loving kindness. It's a very difficult uh, word to translate. So what does hesed mean? What is this steadfast love, what the ESV calls steadfast love? What is it? It's referring to God's loyal covenant love, his mercy, his loving kindness, his faithfulness. It's all wrapped into one, all together. Dale Ralph Davis describes hesed in this way. He says it's not merely love, but loyal love. It's not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. It's not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. Hesed is Ruth committing herself to Naomi when there was great cost to herself. There was no good reason why Ruth would commit herself to Naomi. But she had hesed, kindness that's translated there in Ruth. Hesed towards Naomi. Hesed is God pursuing his disobedient and contrary and obstinate people again and again and again. I love, I was just reminded this week of uh, a talk I heard and, and he referred to the best definition of hesed he's heard and I agree with him. It came from a children's Bible from Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you never read it, it's a great one. But she talks about hesed in this way. This is how she defines it. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This hesed, this steadfast love, this flows abundantly 
out of the Lord. It, is com- it emanates from God. It's who he is. It's how he defines himself. He is abounding in steadfast love. And we have to get this into our minds because it's so hard for us sometimes to believe. One of the most famous verses in the Bible in Lamentations 3 tells us that the steadfast love, the hesed of our Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's steadfast love, his hesed, is a bit like this. It's a bit like the Niagara Falls. What do, what do I mean by that? The Niagara Falls constantly flow all seasons of the year. Even during winter, there's so much water going down the falls, they cannot freeze over. But at the height of its flow, the Niagara Falls, every single minute, flows about a million bathtubs of water down the falls. Every single minute. That's Hesed. That's God's everlasting, steadfast love. It just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot uh, cease in any way. The point that the psalmist wants us to, to drill into our heads, and we have to get this, he says it 26 times, that God's love is never stopping. It's never giving up. It's always and forever. It's unbreaking. And so I want to pause right there and just ask you, do you really believe this part of the song? Do you believe this part of the song when it says he is good and his steadfast love endures forever? You may be thinking about some circumstance in your life right now and you're really questioning, is God really good? You may be thinking about something that happened to you when you were a kid, and you may be thinking, how is his steadfast love forever? And friends, this is one of the great lies that we are tempted to believe. It is the ancient lie. If we doubt God's goodness, his steadfast love, we are, be, we are believing this ancient lie of the serpent. The serpent, what, what did he do? He came to Eve. He said, well, you know, is, is, did God really say that? Well, you know, he said that because he's just wanting to keep something from you. And friends, the enemy still has that same lie planted in our minds over and over again on so many levels. If you think about your life, if you are doubting the goodness of God or the love of God, you are giving in to that ancient lie. And so, friends, do not be deceived. Remember the truth of God's word. God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. No matter the trial you're going through right now, Paul tells us in Romans 8.28 that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Not some things. All things. And so we can and we must give thanks to this God for who he is. We can do that by taking time to thank him for his character and attributes as we come across them in God's word, or as we come across them in his world and we see his attributes there through the created world. We can do it by intentionally recounting the various names of God in scripture. I talked about how he's Yahweh. He is the God who provides. He is the God who heals. He is the Lord of hosts, and on and on and on. This is the God that we serve. 
So would you spend time later today, would you spend time this week intentionally giving thanks to this God because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever? Well, we need that right understanding of God's steadfast love. We need it ringing in our ears. And as, and as that's happening, we come to the second category of giving thanks within this psalm, and that's to give thanks to God for what he has done. Verse 4 says that we should give thanks to him alone who does great wonders. And what the psalmist does here is just masterful. He summarizes the three great wonders of God here, and he calls us to give thanks for them all. What are those wonders in summary form? His love displayed through creation, through redemption, and through provision. So first, the wonder of his love displayed through creation. Verse 5 says, to give thanks to him who by his understanding made the heavens. I want us to think about that just for a moment. God, by his understanding, made the heavens. Now today's a fairly clear day. Maybe tonight we'll be able to go outside and look up at the stars. Maybe if you have a telescope, you can look through that. But when you think about the understanding of God, just look up. Look at everything he has made. Scientists, even secular scientists, are amazed by the heavens, by what we call the universe. Many secular scientists think this thing could go on forever. It's infinite. We, they don't even know. They can't measure it. But what can be measured, think about the size of this universe. If you think about a, a, a light year, that's, the, that's light traveling for a whole year. It's about six billion miles. That's one light year. The universe, scientists tell us, the observable universe, is about 46 billion light years. So if you think about 6 billion times 46 billion, that's, that's a lot. So when you think about the understanding of, of God, I don't want to do that kind of math. It's, just, it's like they call it billion trillions or whatever. When you think about who God is, his infinite nature, his eternal uh, nature, his infinite uh, goodness, character, all of that, how big is the universe? Well, it's, it's about the right size for a God like that. We can't even fully measure it. The heavens and the stars and the planets and all the rest, Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day they pour forth speech. Night to night they reveal knowledge. So this means that the heavens, the stars and the planets and all the rest, they are preaching to us about the greatness of God every single day. Are you listening to the sermon? And are you giving thanks for that? For his steadfast love endures forever. Then we get to verse six. It says that to give thanks to him who spread out the earth above the waters. It's a poetic way of saying that God created the earth. It has allusions to Genesis one. The psalmist surely was meditating on Genesis one here. But it's, it's saying that God created the earth and everything in it. He created the mountains, the trees, the oceans, all the animals, from the anteater to the aardvark, from the blue whale to the baboon, from giraffes to zebras. He created it all, and he created man 
and women and humans created it all. Verses seven to nine highlighted how, highlight how God made the sun and the moon and the stars to rule the day and to rule the night. They're his servants. The sun and the moon are extremely breathtaking, especially at certain moments. I remember when we lived in Switzerland, we lived and had, were friends with a number of people who had no understanding of God. They had no uh, belief in God. But these people marveled at the beauty of Switzerland. They marveled at the beauty of the sun and how it was created. Now, they didn't necessarily know why it was so beautiful. But they, even a, a person who is far from God can look at God's creation and say, wow, that is amazing. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that the Father's love is shown by how he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friends, his steadfast love endures forever in creation. Remember when God was finished creating, remember what God's assessment was of that was in Genesis 1.31. He saw everything that he had created and he, and he saw that it, and he said it was very good. It was very good. And so when we see this goodness in creation, which we can see all around us, we should give thanks to the creator for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, after giving thanks for his love and creation, verses 10 to 15 tell us to give thanks for the wonder of his love displayed in redemption. That's uh, verses 10 to 15. The exodus is what he's describing. And if you remember, in the Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt was the great salvation act of God in the Old Testament. And the author here summarizes that period in verses 10 to 11 by talking about just one of the plagues, but he's really summarizing all the plagues there. He's just talking about the death of the firstborn that led to Israel's eventual release. And verse 12 says that he did this with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. You can almost picture it like God's hand. God doesn't have a hand. This is anthropomorphic language, but with his strong hand and outstretched arm, God took Israel and he brought them up out of, out of Egypt and he rescued this people. He's strong, he is mighty. Nothing can thwart his plans. Then in verse 13, the psalmist highlights the process that he miraculously brought his when he brought his people through the Red Sea. All the while, destroying the most powerful army on earth at the time. And through it all, God's steadfast love was at work pursuing his people, bringing them to redemption and deliverance, accomplishing his purposes, fulfilling his promises, the promise that he made to Abraham so many years before. He always fulfills his promises. But that redemption from Egypt, that exodus, was foreshadowing the much greater redemption that was to come. That was just an echo of the redemption that would come through Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so as we think about giving thanks to the Lord for redemption, yes, we want to give thanks for what he did in Egypt through the uh, Israelites and, and what happened there. 
but really he's calling us to give thanks. For those of us who know and love Jesus, give thanks to the Lord Jesus for coming and living and dying on our behalf. So today, those of us who know Christ can give thanks for the redemption that culminates in Jesus. Then in verse 16 to 22, uh, God's people are charged with giving thanks for the wonder of his love displayed in provision. So we've talked about his uh, redemption, his creation, his redemption, and now his love displayed in provision. And if you look at verse 16, it represents one of the hardest times in Israel's history. Summarized in one line, when God led them in the wilderness for 40 years. If you've read your Bibles, this is not a good time in Israel's history. But this one line should remind us that we're not called to give thanks only when things are going well, only when we see amazing things happening, but at all times. I also want us to notice that this 40-year period of difficulty and trial, one of the hardest parts of all of Israel's history, it only gets one line in the psalm. It's barely mentioned. It's almost just a footnote. And that should remind us that when we're going through trials and hardships and difficulties, they could last days or they could last decades. If we scan out at the big picture of what God is doing throughout all human history, in our lives and throughout all history, we'll realize, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that this is a light, momentary affliction that is producing an eternal weight of glory. And even during those times, even during the wilderness years, you may be going through one right now, his steadfast love endures forever. It's still present. It's not running out. He's still pursuing you. And he is still who he is. He, he cannot deny himself, and for that, we give thanks. Well, then in verses 17 to 21, we come to more examples of God's provision through trial. So they're going through the wilderness, and then they encounter Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og. You gotta love Og, you know. What kind of name is that? And so you've got Sihon and Og, and they won't let Israel pass these are representative of the two kings just beyond the Jordan. This is representative of the whole promised land. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, when you encountered them, what happened? I defeated them for you. I defeated them for you, and I gave, them their, I gave you their land, Israel, and I gave all the promised land to you. I did it all. The point is, is that God was faithful to provide for his people in the wilderness, he was faithful to grant his promised land to his people even though they were disobedient, even though the circumstances were incredibly difficult at times. His steadfast love endures forever. But then when we get to verse 23, there's a shift in the song. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's when the psalmist writes himself and his people into the story. Before, he's talking about Israel, what God has done through Israel, et cetera, et cetera. Then listen to what he says in verse 23. He says, it is he, God, who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever. He rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, the psalmist is affirming that God is currently working amongst them just as he had been working through all of history, 
He is seeing himself, he's seen Israel then as part of the great story of God from creation through the time in the wilderness, through coming out of Egypt to today. That's what he is doing. And this is the right perspective because God's love has never changed. And if we fast forward to when this psalm was written to the first century, we can see that God's love was just continuing on and on and on. It was, he was pursuing his people and he still continued to pursue. And we can see God's love on full display in the, the greatest way when we look at the greatest work in history, which is when he sent his son Jesus Christ to live and to die and to rise again from the grave so that we might live, so that we might be written into this history. See, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we remember that, uh, that he remembered us in our lowest state, when we admit that we are sinners and we trust in Christ, forsaking our sins and trusting in what he's done for us, we get written into the great story of God. We become his people. This story becomes our story, and it is one story, friends. It is one story from creation to when Jesus reigns forever and ever. It's one story, and we can be written into it because Jesus remembered us in our lowest state. He remembered us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were enslaved to the passions of our flesh, and he rescued us from our foes, the foes of sin and Satan and this world that opposes God. And so we must never forget that all of human history that's recounted in this psalm from creation of the world to redemption of the nation of Israel, it was all building to this, to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was God's plan in creation. This was God's plan in Israel. This was God's plan when he sent Jesus, this was not plan B or C, it was always plan A. It's always plan A for how he wanted to show his steadfast love that it endures forever. God's steadfast love was behind all of it. Listen to how John says it in 1 John 4. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. In this, he says, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and set his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, Jesus Christ shows us God's steadfast love. He shows us God's eternal hesed. He is God in the flesh, and therefore God's love is most fully on display through him. And we can be written into this great continuing story of God's steadfast love when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you today may just be visiting. You may be checking out church. You may be in rebellion to this king, this great God. You may be resisting his steadfast love. It's not ending, friends. It started before you were born and will continue after you die. His steadfast love is constantly flowing towards you. And so would you today, wherever you are, if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're not following this God, would you submit to the waters that are rushing over you, the waters of his love, 
and grace and mercy that are available through Jesus Christ? Would you surrender? Would you submit to him today? I pray that you would do that. Well, for those of us who know and love Jesus, we have every reason to be the most thankful people on the planet because we know God. We know the king of heaven and earth. Or better than that, he knows us. We've been known by the king of all, and he knows the very number of hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. He knows all the bad things we've done and will do, and yet he pursues us constantly. His steadfast love endures forever. We have been given the Holy Spirit. He, the Spirit fills us, fills our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness. We don't have to just drum up thankfulness. We have it in our heart through the Holy Spirit. He's given us his Spirit, and the Spirit that cries, Abba, Father, when from within us, the Spirit who helps us in our weakness when we pray. We have hearts of thankfulness. He's, he's asking us to just give us thanks out of that spirit. So we can give thanks to God for who he is. We can give thanks for his creation. We can give thanks for his redemption. We can give thanks for his provision. We can give thanks for the word made flesh. We can give thanks for the future that is ours forever. And just in a moment, we're going to eat of this table. It's a wonderful way that the Lord has set up to help us to remember, to give thanks. This table shows us God's steadfast love, that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was spilled for us. There's no greater love than this. And so let us give thanks as we come to the table today. I love how Michael Wilcox summarizes, uh, he's a scholar, what, what's happening in this psalm. He says, from the beginning of creation to the climax of redemption, from the first making of the heavens to the final inheritance of the saints, all is to be seen against the background of the love of God. And so as we close, I want you to consider what comes to your mind when you think about God? What song is playing in your mind when you think about this great God? Is it God's truth ringing in your ears? Is it that he is good and his love endures forever? Is that what's ringing in your mind? Or are you playing your own tune? Have you made up your own tune in your head about reality? Have you believed the lie that Satan plants in our mind that he's not good, he can't really be trusted, his love is not what it seems to be? You gotta cover yourself. Friends, the Lord wants us to be playing his tune. Sometimes the simplest songs are what stick most in our heads, like the song that many of us heard when we were just a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we are to give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. It's a song that we will be singing for all eternity. So friends, let's start today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what are we to say other than thank you. Thank you for your never-ending love and mercy and kindness and grace and faithfulness to us 
Lord, you have pursued us far before any time we pursued you. You first loved us. All of this world points to your love, your creation, your redemption, your provision. And yet, Lord, we often forget this love. We often forget your mercy. So, Lord, stir our hearts. Help us to be people that give thanks and praise to you. Help us to be in the right posture before you, a holy God. Once we've adored you, once we've confessed our sins, there's nothing we can do but give thanks to the one who has done all this, who has forgiven our sins, who's given us all things. And so, Lord, magnify your name as we give thanks to you. We pray that in Christ's name.